How's it going, guys? Welcome to episode 67 of Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne, and today I'm joined by my best friend in the whole state of Michigan, George Frizzard. <laughs> What's going on? Nothing. I uh, I just got home from work. It was a pretty good day, I guess. Pretty pretty solid week overall. How's your week going? Uh, it's it's been good. Um, pushing back the the scheduled recording time, so adjusting to the new schedule, but but it's been good. Yeah. So I literally just thought it was Tuesday, and then I was like, <laughs> no. how can it only be Tuesday? But it turns out it's actually Thursday, and tomorrow's Friday. So we announced this last week, in case you guys missed it. Uh, we moved the show to Fridays because you asked us to, and it also makes things a lot easier for us since a lot of the movie screenings we go to are on Tuesdays. But this week we're going to be reviewing Pet Cemetery in segment two, and before we get into that, do we have any new reviews or emails? Uh, we actually do have a review that was sent to us uh, over on Facebook. We still have one of those, even though it's very rarely checked. Um <laughs> From Joseph Rogerson, who says, love the pod, look forward to every episode. It really helps me get through my work days. Uh, so thank you a lot, Joseph. Yeah, thanks a lot, dude. So we have no iTunes reviews or emails? No, we're still sitting at the 63 iTunes reviews, and uh, I didn't see any emails when I checked. On the one hand, I'm happy because 63 iTunes reviews is a lot. And on the other hand, I want you guys to pick up the slack <laughs> and start reviewing our show on iTunes, please. <laughs> It helps. It helps us so much. It helps us a lot. But uh, we talked about George. We talked about how he moved the show to Fridays. And then also, if you guys want to write in with any comments, questions, or concerns, you can hit us up at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. And if you do that or leave us a review on iTunes, we will read it on the show. Good or bad. Unless it's, like, mean, I guess. I <laughs> Unless it really hurts our feelings. Yeah, then we're not going to read it. We're just going <laughs> to do something bad to you. <laughs> just bury that one deep down. Yeah, I'll just keep it in my heart of hearts. <laughs> so, George, what video games have you been playing? Uh, at your new house. Wait, George, you bought a house. I did. Uh, I purchased a home. I'm officially a, do you a like homeowner. It? Yeah. How's uh, it going? It's good so far. It's been a lot of work. Uh, I've been working with my father, who's a general contractor, to update a lot of the upstairs. So right now, the only livable section is the basement, but it's been good. When I come over, when I come home, I'm going to pick a random room and I'm going to pee right on the floor. <laughs> It'll probably be a carpeted one, so you won't know. And then you're going to go in there like six months later and be like, you know what? It smells like pee in here. I'd be like, well, and I'll just go. <laughs> that's Jimmy's territory, I guess. I guess he owns this room. Yeah, that's gonna be your bedroom. <laughs> I just decided. <laughs> Damn, that's cool. So you have a really cool basement. That's where you got your gaming stuff set up. Yep. Yeah, I have all that set up. I got my Xbox and my uh, PlayStation set up there, and my PC's off to the side. But I might have moved that over and hook it up to the the big TV. So we'll we'll see. I'm still moving stuff around. Cool. That's fun. So what have you been playing in your cool new basement? Uh, thing I've put the most time into recently is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Okay, so I've only gotten one text from you about this game, and it's that <laughs> a boss was pushing your shit in. So it sounds like you're having a good time with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's standard Souls fare. You know, you, you run into enemies that are fairly difficult, and you run your head against them for like an hour, and then eventually you get the rhythm of it, and you're able to beat them, and it's very rewarding. Uh, and that's a very similar 
feeling in this game. It, it captures that, but the battle system is completely different from any other Souls game. Um, big reliance on stealth and consumables, and it's a very different feeling uh, from software game, but I, I like it so far. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, because we're both pretty big Souls-born players. We, we've played every single one. The only one I haven't beaten now is Dark Souls 3 out of them all and demon souls i'm not counting that though uh the combat i played a little bit of sekiro when i was in florida Mm -hmm. and you're right it does feel a lot different the skeleton is the same but the bones that are sticking off of it are different you know yeah uh you can jump and you have a grappling hook and you get a flamethrower eventually and you have all these cool prosthetic arm type deals and there's cut scenes with voice acting so it is it's it's like making the souls franchise feel new again in the same way that bloodborne did i think yeah, it definitely, like, on, on the one hand, I love the Souls-style ARPG combat. I think that's, like, a very refined and and well-done gameplay loop. Uh, it, it's kind of been done to death with a bunch of those Souls copies that come out. Like, basically every ARPG wants to just be a Souls game at this point. So I see why they wanted to, like, really differentiate it with Sekiro. Uh, and I think they actually did a good job of really making it stand out and feel different and like a a new franchise in the series as opposed to Dark Souls with a samurai skin on it. Yeah, does it feel like a better Neo than Neo? Yeah, I, I kind of dropped off Neo just because some of the later areas I got to, it just felt like it was very level-based in its difficulty where you just had to grind levels over and over again to even compete in areas. I thought that the yeah. like weapon systems were cool, how there was the different stances and it was varied and, and how you could get weapons and the, the drop system was cool, but it, it just really felt like grindy at about the halfway point and I, I, didn't, I didn't really jive with that. So something I really liked about um, Sekiro is that you only have one weapon. Like, you deal with one sword the entire game. And I know it's cool that in Dark Souls and, you know, Dark Souls 2 and 3 and Bloodborne, you have so many different options for weapons. But I'm the kind of person where I stick with, you know, either a straight sword or a great sword for the entire game. Or the saw cleaver in Bloodborne. Yeah. That's how I would have played it anyway. So them putting all of the emphasis on one sword, that's fine with me. Like... It feels like they're doing the legwork that I not, like usually do to learn the weapon, and I think it might be the best looking of them all. Like it, it looks really good. The level design in this game is uh, really cool. Like the actual um, little areas that you go to, where there's like the Japanese style homes and the big fires, and all the samurai de- are designed really cool. Like so far aesthetically, it's one of the coolest, more unique looking games that came out this year what is your favorite thing about it so far like are you gonna beat it so far i've i've just got to the first like real boss um i kind of was running my head against the wall with him for a bit but i got really close to beating him twice and i it it's like it really is putting that feeling in me that i get when i play dark souls games where it's like you really get into it and you stop playing and that's all you think about and you're like strategizing in your mind how you're going to beat him and what you need to do and then you go back and you just can't do it but eventually you do <laughs> so like it, it's it's definitely on my mind right now and so i'm going to keep pushing through i know i've heard that there's some later boss fights and, and later stuff that's really frustrating so we'll see but so far i i feel like i'm going to persevere through this one 
So one of the things you complained about to me about, not complained about, that's the wrong way to say it. The one of the things you didn't like was the emphasis on stealth. Does that, is it a, did you like keep batting your head against that or did you just decide to play it as an action game? So um, there's definitely some sections that like most areas that have just, that are open with enemies, it's better to play them stealth than to not play them stealth just because um, if you do sneak up on enemies, you can get the death blow, which is like the one-hit kill move if you sneak up on them. So it's easier to clear out an area by just doing death blows on everybody in one hit and, and mm. kind of being sneaky. So that's kind of the, the smart way to play. But if you are good at the counter system, you know, parrying, dodging attacks, using the Mercury counter, there's if you get good at all that, you can basically get those death blows as easy, but you're just juggling more enemies at once. So you know it, it's basically a, a juggling between do you want to get the easy kills and focus on getting good at the when you have to fight the bosses or getting good by fighting a bunch of enemies and, and getting your counters down before you go into the more difficult areas so are you you're playing it on 1x yeah i've been playing on the 1x uh, is it running in 4k or does it look like 1080 um from what i read i think it runs at like 1440 or something i know hdr that's, is that's on. pretty good like hdr is on um i i didn't get any there's no like special enhanced mode or performance mode like you usually get with the if you're playing on the ps4 pro or the xbox one where they give you like options how you want to play it there's none of that but i think it just kind of smooths out the you know keeps it a more consistent frame rate and and so far from what i played i haven't seen any crazy dips i mean everything's running pretty smooth and and it looks good Cool. So, uh, that game, this is a news story for later, but we can just talk about it now. It sold 2 million copies in just over a week of being out, which is crazy when you consider that Dark Souls 3 sold 3 million copies uh, as of May 11, 2016, which is fairly soon after it came out. So, it's selling really well, which is surprising to me, just because it's kind of, su- it's more niche than anything they've done with the Soulsborne series. Like, you're very broad in general with Knights and Dragons, and Bloodborne is a very action-y, horror-esque look that's HP Lovecraft reminiscent. Right. Mm-hmm. But like a samurai game, we just got Neo. We know that we have Ghost of Tsushima on the horizon, and we also have uh, Neo 2 coming out. It's just crazy to me that, you know, the game sold that well. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's weird that, like, this year we have three samurai games coming out. I guess they kind of get first mover advantage because they are the first one that came out this year. I mean, I guess Neo kind of does since that came out last year. But at the same time, I think people are going to look on this and play this more so just because it's a From game than any yeah. other Neo or Ghost of Tsushima or anything like that. Just because it's a From Software game, I think that invites a lot of this huge, very dedicated player base to come play it. And I obviously the numbers show that they are very dedicated and they'll play whatever from puts out so it's it's good to see that they're being supported with this game because so far it's it's very good yeah i have it i started it when i was in florida but then i bounced off it pretty quick just for fallout which is what i've been still been playing i'm gonna go back to sekiro for sure i i need to play that game but so fallout it's bethesda is just continuing to roll out big cool substantial updates for it that also pack in really substantial bug fixes and quality of life fixes so it's like every base they need to cover they're covering right now and 
I know we got Ethan and Grayson from the Discord. Yeah. They both got it on PC, and they've been having a lot of fun with the game, I think. And uh, Luke Jaggers bought it on Xbox, and hopefully he likes it too. I don't think I've seen him post in there whether or not he does, but it seems like uh, it's not, I'm not crazy when I say You're that, not the only know, one the that likes the game. Yeah. Lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, so the, the quest line that's going on right now is called Sheer Terror, and it's like sheer, like shearing a sheep mm-hmm. because it's a mystery where you go to this taxidermy shop in Lewisburg, which is a pretty fairly, it's an early, early game area. And you're basically piecing together what happened to this girl's brother and her, or his friend. They were looking for the sheep squatch. And so one thing that people need to know is that when you're looking at this map on the wall of all the sheep squatch sightings, you can take the papers off the wall and they give you side quests. But there's a desk in front of the wall that kind of stops you from walking <laughs> forward far enough to do that. So you just kind of have to know it's there. So those are all really fun. It's a lot of mystery-based questing where you go to an area, you search around for clues, and then you kind of have to piece them together and figure out what's going on. The weirdest thing about it is that it ends in a fight that's like a you know how they have random events on mm, the map like that kind of happened? the public uh what are those called like public yeah. events from destiny it's like one of those yeah exactly yeah. like those and those are a good way to get you know random randomized legendary loot it all culminates with an assaultron which is basically a bipedal robot it's it's what you think of like c3po mm-hmm. but they're really strong and it, it culminates with one of those and you have to basically activate three pylons that get it to unshield itself so you can kill it and it has a sheep squatch like costume on and it's apparently harder than fighting the final boss in the game which is called a scorch beast queen and i've seen people having a lot of fun trying to kill it because the drops are apparently pretty good with it it's it's a pretty hard fight which is what people were kind of asking for and it's nice to have some end game content like that i know grayson and ethan both have done it which is hilarious because neither of them are very high level i haven't gotten to do it yet just because I'm still working through two late game quest lines where I'm trying, I joined the Brotherhood of Steel and I joined the Enclave. And those are two of the best Fallout quest lines I've ever done. Like they, they feel like Skyrim quest lines. Interesting. Like when you're doing the Thieves Guild and everything. Okay. Uh, and I, I'm having a ton of fun with that. So I ended up, I just bought a skin too for real money. So that's how much <laughs> I'm liking the game. Do you think the, you know, being able to defeat, defeat the actual, the tough Assaultron being new players, do you think that's because there's a huge amount of people that are kind of around that area that are willing to just put everything they have into it? So even if you aren't strong enough to really fight it, you can just kind of hang out and, and pick up the loot when it's over? Or do you think it's... So if you're part of the fight, it will come after you. So, But people are generally pretty nice about reviving you during the fight. Mm-hmm. So if you're low level, it's a good way to get either decent loot for when you level up so that you can save for later in your stash or at least get some ammo or you know early weapons right. that you normally wouldn't be able to get that early um but yeah it's definitely because a lot of people are coming back to the game there's like full servers all the time and a lot of people are commenting on how it's running a lot better now for them and there weren't that many bugs introduced with the new stuff there were a couple but they got fixed really quickly with a hot fix the one thing people are kind of upset about is they're adding in this item called a repair kit, which essentially, instead of going out and finding the parts to repair a weapon, you can use a repair kit to repair it to 130% of 
like its quality. So people are saying it's pay to win, but it's really not because repairing weapons is already easy enough as it is. Like I've never not been able to repair a weapon when I needed to. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you're going into the PVP survival server, you're, you're fine. Like you don't need, you're not going to be repairing that many weapons because you probably have so many good legendaries already. I think the one thing that is warranted though is that people are like, well, they're kind of just testing it out to see how it goes. Right. It's like where do you draw the line? Like when you can pay for one thing that affects, that's not a cosmetic item. How many more things are they going to add that aren't cosmetic items for money? I guess that's kind of the the real issue behind it. Not necessarily that this is a game breaking item, but that it could open the gate for future, uh, pay to win items they haven't really left any stone unturned with the community i know they're not they haven't really been too responsive about it at this point but it was supposed to they were supposed to be put into the game today as far as i'm aware and they haven't put them in yet and in the inside of the vault that they released today they didn't really talk about it so maybe they are rethinking them or at least because you can earn them in the main game for free but the easiest way to get them is obviously just to buy them yeah because one of the interesting things about that is um, this was I saw a post about this on like the first or second page of Reddit when I was scrolling through it. So the the community, the Fallout 76 community on Reddit is actually seemed to have some kind of resurgence since this was a post popular enough to become like uh, top of mind for a lot of a lot of people. Uh, they DM'd or like added in the comments a lot of the moderators that I know are you know, involved with Bethesda that kind of checked those message boards. And it was a fairly high upvoted post. So it seems like um, if people want their voices heard, this is a good forum for it. And it's gaining a lot of popularity. Yeah. And the cool thing is a lot of stuff that the community suggests they actually do. Like, I remember when this PVP mode was first being talked about that they added, everyone was like, why are you focusing on this when there's not enough single player content in the end game? And they were like, yeah, you're right. And then so they went to the drawing board. They kept back the survival mode until recently and started working on single player stuff and getting in-game events. So they are being really cool with the community and they're still very active in the subreddit. And they say that there's millions of players in the game. Like they, it didn't sell as well as they wanted. I know because they dropped the price on the game and you know they were buying copies back. Right. But it did. It didn't sell poorly. It was in the top ten for a few months. So. Hopefully there's enough people like us out there who are looking at it as I see a game that has potential at the heart of this and I've seen them working actively to to find those like p- find that potential and I spent 60 bucks so yeah you know, like I want I want to keep playing it but it, it's all looking on the up and up like next week we're getting a new dungeon which is one of they talked about it at PAX. They said it's the mo- one of the most visually appealing dungeons in the entire Fallout series, where it's a Brotherhood of Steel-themed quest where you're going into the sewers of Harper's Ferry to do a quest for the uh, Brotherhood of Steel. And it's like a strike in Destiny where you can rerun it after you complete it. And it's a good way to farm legendary loot. So they're learning. Yeah, it seems like um, they're pulling from other... Um, of these kind of MMO games that have that have done it right recently, you know, it kind of toes the line between being a single player experience and being like a shared world, I guess. Uh, so you kind of have to look at what those other experiences did well and and kind of pull from those. This is a game that I, I definitely feel bad for not putting more time into lately, but um, 
because I, I know it's you... not for lack of trying. You just <laughs> didn't have good internet. Like right. we legitimately tried. Right. Uh, but I, I definitely want to put at least at least a few hours into it this weekend and, and try to put some more time into it uh, this week. Try to try yeah, to I'll be you playing it power level me lot. up a bit. <laughs> well, I need to get you, Grayson and uh, Ethan, up to level fifty because nuke launching a nuke is not an easy process like it's an end game quest where you have to Mm -hmm. like find the codes go to the silo that's a dungeon in itself you have to launch a nuke and that's part of the enclave quest line and i also need you guys for the um that dungeon that comes out next week that's they said that it's leveled for two level 50 players so they're like if you have good power (laughs) armor you can solo it but you probably shouldn't well so i want to play with more people yeah i mean that sounds like a fun challenge. I like the Brotherhood of Steel lore, and I love the Fallout world, so I just actually need to kind of get into the game and uh, build up my character, and we can start running some of this cooler endgame stuff. Yeah, so that's what I'm playing this week. I think now we should get into the news. And The first big thing that kind of just happened before we started the show is that Disney finally announced in concrete stone what they're doing with Disney Plus. We've seen rumors and rumors and rumors and we've known about a couple things, but they just kind of just laid all the cards out on the table and it's as good as it gets. Like if there's nothing bad about it. Yeah. Uh, it, la- <laughs> it launches in November, November 12th this year, 6.99 a month and 70 bucks a year if you want to do annual purchase. Uh like that's great. I yeah, have no problems there. Like one of the cheaper streaming services. Um <laughs> Uh, and it's going to have, you know, like every, like Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars. It, it, you know, we're all afraid that Disney was kind of going to become a monopoly and, and own all mm-hmm. these franchises. But when they have a cheap streaming service like this where they can dump all that onto, I love that. I mean, what's wrong with that? One place where I can consolidate like 90% of what I'm going to watch. Yeah, and they're the people making most of it. So. Some of the cool shows they announced, they announced way more than this, but these are the ones I thought were cool. They're doing a show called WandaVision, which is going to be Scarlet Witch and The Vision. Um, I'm assuming that'll be more CW-y, you know, like romance-oriented, because that's basically what those characters are in the comics, and that's fine. I like both those characters. Then, very exciting, you've got Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and that's coming out the first year of Disney+. Plus. And they've got Anthony Mackie and um, Sebastian Stan signed really? on to so they have the real, those characters. The real deal people in the show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, this one's just rumored, but they're doing a... You know that Hawkeye comic I loved in yeah. senior year of college where I Hawk dressed guy? up as him for Halloween? Yeah. They're... they're <laughs> the Matt they Fraction. Hired, yeah. The best fucking comic of all time. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. So the whole thing with that was that he was training a girl Hawkeye named Katie Bishop. And that's basically who they're teasing as Jeremy Renner's daughter in the Avengers universe or whatever. And they're apparently working on a show where he's training her. That'd be and pretty awesome. And that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. So confirm, really cool. though. Yeah, we also are getting a Cassian Andor slash K2SO like live action TV show with Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk signed on. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have nothing to complain about there. We're getting The Mandalorian, which is in the first year confirmed, and that's Pedro Pascal is a Mandalorian, and you've got Taika Waititi playing IG-88, which is fucking dope. No complaints there. Yep, with, um, uh, shit, what's his name John at the Favreau? Favreau, yeah. Favreau yeah, John Favreau. 
Yeah, so that's cool. And that's coming out, I think, on launch. So we'll see that by the end of the year. And Star Wars Celebration started today, so I'm sure we'll see at least some footage from this this weekend. And then finally, they're finishing out Clone Wars with Clone Wars Season 7. We already have a trailer for that, and it looks perfect. Like, I'm fine with that. They teased Ahsoka um, and Anakin, you know, confronting each other after what happened to Ahsoka towards the end of that show. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, so it seems like not only is it cheaper than I expected it to be, I thought it would be probably around Netflix prices, like 13 bucks a month, something like that. Um, but it looks like they already have a lot of really high-tier content to go pretty much right at launch, since if it's within the first year, I mean, that's pretty good. And they just have such a massive backlog of excellent content, they can throw it on it immediately, that this seems like a no-brainer to, to be subscribed to. Yeah, I don't want to throw this word around lately, but it honestly seems like a Netflix killer because these are all killer app type shows. Like all of these shows seems like shows you could carry the service with. And then you look at Netflix and they really only have one show of that caliber and it's Stranger Things. And Ozark. Yeah, Ozark's pretty big. But, you know, the Netflix made a strong move for qua- quantity over quality. And I think it might come around and bite them in the ass with this. And that's definitely true of not only their TV shows, but the movies they acquire where, yeah, I mean, it's like really very, very hit or miss with, <laughs> with both of those cases where it could be something really cool or it could just be something they bought that's a pile of dog shit. It just, it's really a total crapshoot if the new stuff that they added is going to be any good or not. I just saw on Twitter, I saw people talking about it. They released another movie that's kind of like a quiet place. I saw, I saw that deal. too. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like called a... The Silence and it's about bats, like killer bats. It's like, you guys got to stop. Like, yeah. just stop. <laughs> and they get these movies that have strong actors in them, but very weak stories. And that seems to be their, their play. But they're going to have to really, you know, buck up and get some real competition out there and start focusing on getting some stuff that's actually good yeah, out um, into the world. I mean, they have the uh, extremely shocking, wickedly vile movie. Um, yeah. What, next month? Beginning, it's like first week of May or something they're putting that out. So that's coming out yeah. soon. That's supposed to be pretty good. So they at least have that. Um, they just added Sabrina Season 2, which has some mixed reviews um but <laughs> you telling me about that but so far i like it um I, I don't really have any complaints as of yet but i'm only like three episodes in um so there but as far as netflix goes it's definitely a thing where you just pay for it every month and and i very rarely use it yeah i'm more on hulu now i would say or i use youtube tv a lot i got a subscription through work uh austin paid pays for it and then put me and a couple other people from our work on to his account which is great and i watch a lot of stuff on there like speaking of the travel channel i watched that a ton on there because it was just added recently they're taking over horror tv so first thing they announced is that they're bringing back ghost hunters as ghost nation which is exactly what they did with uh destination truth they brought it back as expedition unknown (laughs) and so ghost hunters I really like Ghost Adventures, but Ghost Hunters is what got me into that whole paranormal investigation type show. I used to actually watch the live ones on Halloween, which basically ended right when me and you started being friends, which sucks. Is the Ghost Hunters one the Taps guys? 
Yes. Okay. So it's Jason Hawes, Dave Tango, and Steve Gonzalez. That's a weird name. They've been brought back together for a brand new paranormal investigation series titled Ghost Nation. The trio returns to television by popular demand for an all-new exploration of the other side. But now, a whole nation of paranormal investigators is at their fingertips. So on each week of this show, the team's going to rally their troops and re... What? What the (laughs) fuck? Recon... They need to, like, hire someone who can write press releases without big words like this. It's reconnoiter. Reconnoiter? I don't think that's a word. It's (laughs) not a word. (laughs) (laughs) Around intriguing cases that need need the benefit of their expertise. Armed with state-of-the-art technology, Haas, Gonzalez, and Tango will attempt to uncover paranormal experience like never before while also debunking false claims. Which is funny because they had a lot of fake shit on their live shows. (laughs) <laughs> they got caught that's hilarious but i i'm excited about this i know me and you we started binging that show fear the woods on travel channel yeah. and of course mm-hmm. they have ghost adventures so that's cool i'll definitely check this out now that i have travel channel and then the second thing they announced is that robert england will be hosting a show for them called shadows of history and he's going to investigate frightening odd and creepy stories from america's past as initially printed in newspapers in each episode he'll track down the story behind a bizarre and mysterious account printed in american newspaper in the past he'll enlist historians and scholars to get to the truth behind the reports so that one sounds really cool yeah i mean that's definitely interesting um we haven't really seen england do too much recently so um, this seems like something that would be in his wheelhouse. Obviously, he'd be excellent as a narrator for a show like this. I mean, just his, you know, he can do those really creepy voices. And, and it, I don't know, it seems like he'd be, I read his book. I mean, he seems like a really kind of fun and interesting guy. Uh, like, he would definitely be able to get along with people and, and really be a good interviewer. So I, I'm excited to see where that one goes. It seems like a perfect type of role for someone who can just kind of like chill as the host talk to people but not necessarily be in this you know actiony running around type role you know what i mean right like (laughs) he's definitely better in uh, like a studio talking to someone about some folklore than he would be out in the woods with the taps guys with like a uh ems meter in his hand trying to see what where the ghosts are yeah and it's funny this the travel channel's finding a crossover that i really like i travel a lot a lot of the places I want to go are inspired, at least in part, by something creepy. And it feels like there's a lot of people like that out there. So Travel Channel is capitalizing on it. And I think that's smart. Yeah, um, definitely. I think it's cool that they're bringing, you know, bringing back this, you know, trying to revitalize this with Ghost Nation and, and bring more kind of this horror content to their network. I, I always think that's cool. And, and at least with these, you have the Taps guys, which have a lot of tenure. I mean, they've been on the TV forever doing this kind of stuff. So it's cool to see them get a chance to kind of reprise their role as the premier paranormal investigators and then bring back Robert England for something like this that seems like a really interesting horror history lesson is something, you know, just a cool idea. And it seems like they're they're willing to cough up enough money to have Robert England be the, the host in the face of it. So they're, they're not holding back when it comes to the putting the money up. And that just gets him in people's minds, which makes it easier for something like Nightmare on Elm Street to come back, you know? Yeah. At least he's doing something. He's active. He's not just waiting. Right, which is cool. I'm definitely excited to see uh, how that show pans out. Yeah, I'm also excited to see how American Horror Story Season 9 pans out. They released a teaser for it on Ryan Murphy's Instagram that shows that it's basically uh, Friday the 13th inspired 
season that takes place in 1984. And uh, the trailer was awesome. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um, you sent this to me the other day on Twitter. And like at first I was like, oh, great. An American Horror Story trailer. Like, what's this going to be? And then I was like, that's actually really rad. Like, this show looks awesome. So it's so good it seems fake <laughs> right and i like looked on youtube and i like couldn't find it on just the fx account or anything i was like oh shit this is <laughs> and then i saw it was on ryan murphy's account i was like oh okay it's real um and i think this is kind of a cool situation where you have a show like american horror story that is kind of hit or miss with its seasons uh, I, I haven't really ever followed it but i know you know, people who do say watch it say some seasons are much better than others. So, with an anthology show like this, you can definitely have those hit or miss seasons. And it seems like this is definitely going to be a hit one if this trailer is any indicator. Yep. Uh, there's a couple noteworthy things. The first one is that Olympic skiing medalist Gus Kentworthy is going to be in the show, which okay. is weird. <laughs> I don't know what he's up to. <laughs> I didn't know he was an actor, but. Uh, Emma Roberts will be back, and Evan Peters, who's kind of like a staple of this show, I guess you could say he's the star since Jessica Lange left, uh, he's not coming back. So it's a big shakeup for the show. They're kind of starting on a fresh foot, especially since they've got Disney money now to make it. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely um, the first season in a long while that's piqued my interest even a little bit. Um, so I'm definitely going to try to catch this one and, and see if actually follow this season and see if it's you know if i have to go back and watch the other 11 seasons or however long the show's been going on for yeah no you don't so (laughs) it comes out it comes out this fall and speaking of things that are cool and fun and exciting the nun 2 is already in the works i know this is a big surprise george but since uh peter safran who's the producer of shazam is doing the interview runs he talked to a website and said i think there's an internet I think there's an inevitability to another nun movie. He told entertainment weekly. We have a really fun storyline that, te- that for that teed up. So I think that's the next one that will be read. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't read a and B. <laughs> I looked up the nun. I was like, I remember the nun not doing too great, but it got a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, but yeah. returned $365 million. <laughs> so it, it makes a it had like a $40 million budget or something. It had a pretty big budget, but it still made its money. There's like, it's plain painfully obvious that we were going to get a sequel to this. Yeah. It's just, it's tough. Cause like, you know, you want to see more of these movies get made and uh, you know, Saffron just put out Shazam, which I, I haven't seen yet, but I've heard really great things about, uh and it's just yeah, like, i really like shazam and it's like you know you put good people in it and it's a good franchise and and you want it to be good but the first nun was really just so bad like it was terrible like very I'm so, like i'm sorry it was bad <laughs> like i have very little good things to say about that movie at all it, it was like one of my most disappointing uh movie experiences as of late just because valak is such a cool and scary character that to put her in the movie for like five minutes and make the movie not scary at all is really total. I, like, I don't understand how that even happened. So <laughs> I'd like to, you know, say I trust them and I know that they'll do better with the second one. Like maybe it'll be an Annabelle situation where uh, the second one is far, far exceeds the first, but I, I don't really want to get my hopes up for the sequel. 
I kind of had a hot take on Twitter that didn't turn out to be too hot where I was like, I hope this is like an Annabelle creation situation where this is actually a good movie. And everyone was kind of like, yeah, I hope so too. (laughs) Uh, I think, I don't know. It it depends on who they assign to direct it. Obviously I I was really excited for Corn Hardy to take control of the nun, but uh, that movie didn't turn out well at all. And I, I mean, he did have a lot on his plate though, to be fair. I mean, that maybe... was Gary Doberman. That's oh. the writer. Yeah. So I, I I think one of our criticisms was that the script, though, was the big problem. Yeah. So I don't know. But another Conjuring update here. After The Conjuring 2 came out, it was announced by, I think, James Wan that they were working on a Crooked Man movie. He's like a very minor character in The Conjuring 2, and everyone sort of thought he was CGI, but he's actually all practical. And someone thought to ask Peter Safran about that, too. And he said, there are a bunch of things that we're exploring in Annabelle Comes Home that I just love that I think are going to be great. He told this to comicbook.com. Frequently, the audience tells you what the next one should be. When we did The Conjuring 2, we all thought The Crooked Man would be the next one out the gate. We just loved it. It was a great character. Instead, the audience was so fascinated by the nun. It's not that we won't do The Crooked Man, but you kind of have to balance out the franchise. I'm sure that we have ideas of what we want to do beyond this from the artifact room but i suspect that we'll probably the audience will tell us exactly what we should be doing and that makes a lot of sense you know the nun was like a breakout iconic horror villain out of the conjuring 2 right and the crooked man caused controversy right minor controversy but controversy none all the same so it makes sense that they skipped him in favor of the nun to me and i wasn't i didn't really think about it until hearing that quote but the Anvil Comes Home movie is actually a really good playground for the them to kind of test out what the next uh, franchise or what the next uh, new villain, I guess, to center a movie around would be. Because, you know, the premise of the movie is the, the whole Warren's locked up room of evil artifacts is all going to go crazy because Annabelle's interacting with everything. So you have a chance to play around with, like, all these different characters and you know these weird artifacts and everything each one has its own origin story each one has its own like demonic uh villain i guess attached to it so you can definitely put a ton of those in the movie and then kind of see which ones hit and which ones miss and then play off of what the audience likes and and do that as the next one which is a really smart idea actually i agree and I, lo- I love the Conjuring universe. I think it sucks that James Wan has kind of bounced off of it. And there was another story I just didn't put on here because it was enough Conjuring talk. But Peter Safran doesn't think James Wan will come back to it ever. And that makes sense. It's kind of just blown up bigger than I'm sure he ever wanted it to or hoped it ever would, I guess. So I don't know. I am really excited for more stuff in it just because it has such a good atmosphere, good sense of you know aesthetic and everything and a lot of the stories the vast majority of them are good the two dark spots are just annabelle and the nun so hopefully they can continue on the up and up i'm excited to see what gary doberman can do behind the director's chair because annabelle comes home will be the first time he does that so i'm i'm interested in that movie for a lot of different reasons but that's the big one yeah um and i think if the trend of the annabelle franchise is you know, if it's following the same rubric that it went from the first to the second being a big improvement, if the third is a big improvement over the second, then it'll actually be also another really good movie. So hopefully they're able to keep the trend going. It's wild that we're getting a third Annabelle movie before a third Conjuring movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, really strange. 
Um, <laughs> I, I would if you would have told me that like four years ago, five years ago, I would have never believed you. But he, here we are with Annabelle comes home. <laughs> Yeah, so speaking of movies that are coming out later this year, uh, Rob Zombie gave an update on Three from Hell, and he said, I had to finish the movie. I just literally finished that two days ago. That's done. That was taking my life for the last couple of years. He said, I don't know for sure when it'll be released. In the early fall, September vicinity. So I guess we can expect Three from Hell in the early fall of this year, which is kind of what we were assuming. Yeah, Um, I I mean, that's a good time to release it, Um, you know little fall vibe i mean you know finishing out his big trilogy with with three from hell i i just think it's funny how nonchalant he is about it he's like yep that's done (laughs) gonna push that one out it's like it's it's weird to hear him talk about it like that but i I mean i hope there is interest for this movie yeah surprisingly i did a video on it uh about a month ago and it did okay when i pushed it live but then like when i was in florida it just blew up it went from like uh, seven thousand views, which is like pretty pretty low for me at this point, which is you know a blessing. But it jumped up to like forty thousand views, and people seemed really excited about it. So, I mean, I'm excited to see it. Someone messaged me on Instagram and told me that. Um, so take this entirely with a grain of salt. They said their friend uh, helped out on set with the movie, and my guess that it was kind of going to take place during their sentencing and be more centered around their trial and their prison stay than actually being you know, a big blowout movie was accurate because obviously it has a low budget. So you're going to be getting a prison movie out of this, which could be good or bad, depending on what you want. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, it'll be another Rob Zombie movie for, for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. <laughs> I mean, I think if there's any one of his franchises or movies that will spawn the most interest, I think this is going to be it. I think, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses and... Uh, Devil's Rejects are definitely his two most talked about, most, I guess, beloved movies. So this would probably be, you know, the big one to edit on if he's not going to do anything else. But, uh, I mean, he seems like a really cool guy. Um, and and I'll, I'll I'll go see it, but I just, I, I can't, I can't put high hopes into this. Yeah. I'm really excited. I really like Lords of Salem. I think that's one of his better movies. So, I don't know. I'll check. We'll obviously check this out for the show, but it's it's an unknown at this point. We just wanted to give you an update since people seem to be excited about it. And the last story this week, George, is that Child's Play realized that like the rest of the horror world was having an extremely slow news week, and they announced that Bear McCreary is scoring Child's Play remake. Uh, at first, it's like whatever. You know that name might sound a little familiar, but not totally. You've definitely seen a million things with him doing the score, though, because he scored Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, the God of War game from last year, which had a great score, yeah. and uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters is one that's coming up in 10 Cloverfield Lane. He also did Hellfest, so he's he's scoring a lot of stuff. So Busy uh, guy. They released a little trailer. Yeah. Did you watch that little trailer with the yeah, song in yeah, it? Yeah, I saw the little teaser. I, I mean, it seems cool. It's it's weird to me though that like they're putting out all the really good interesting stuff about the movie like this late in the game when it's like about to come out it's like no one really was too sure about it and now they're like all right well we're gonna stop like hiding everything around the curtain this is our composer who's done a bunch of really good movies and video games we got mark hamill doing the voice i mean it's like they're really it seems like they're doing this really huge push right at the very end to get people into the theater but it, it seems to be already having a huge amount of attention pushed its way it seems to have this weird weird following so i don't know if they needed this extra push following but uh for me i think it kind of did need this push i mean i was gonna see it after the mark hamill announcement regardless but 
um, it, it's cool to see that they're not, you know, they didn't put all their eggs in the Mark Hamill basket. They still have other um, good people on the team that, that are pushing it through. Yeah, uh, that's just a fun little update. The trailer they put out with the song in it was good. I had no problems with it. But that's going to wrap up this week's news segment. We will be right back with our review of Pet Cemetery. Alright guys, we are back from our quick break, and since this week's movie is a remake of an adaptation of a novel, we're still going to talk spoilers. So if you don't want to hear them, we will see you next week. So this week, we are talking about Pet Cemetery. It's directed by Dennis Widmeyer and Kevin Kolsch, and the synopsis is Dr. Lewis Creed and his wife Rachel relocate from Boston to rural Maine with their two young children. The couple soon discover a mysterious burial ground hidden deep within the woods behind their, near, their new home. Uh, it stars Jason Clark as Lewis Creed, John Litgow as Judd Crandall, Amy Simons as Rachel Creed, and Jatay Lawrence as Ellie Creed. What did you think of this movie, George? I actually really liked it. Um, I wasn't, I'm not the biggest fan of the original movie. I think it's good, um, but I don't. It doesn't really blow me away. Uh, I think the story is cool, but I I think really the only really worthwhile thing about the originals the zelda i think that like really gave me nightmares but um other than that it was just kind of okay uh but i, I really did like this i thought this was just a much better uh film overall i agree it also this one just nails uh, the sense of atmosphere much better and the problem i have with the original pet cemetery is that it's very campy mostly because they take out the monster at the center of the story so there's really no justification for what anyone is doing in the movie Mm -hmm. other than like oh this creepy old man showed me the pet cemetery like there's magic here but now it's like it just gives a creepier new edge to everything like it's justified why judd would show lewis the burial ground it's justified why lewis would even consider burying his dead kid there you know right i think that was really cool yeah and like you're saying the atmosphere is so well done i mean one of the opening scenes when they first get to the house you know you see the parade of the children wearing the creepy masks walk over to the pet cemetery and then from there you know you have these like kind of horrific dream sequences where we see kind of the outline of the windigo and we see this kind of big creepy like almost ever expansing landscape and and a lot of um we see really one scene of really intense gore with um Jason Clark's character, who is a doctor who's working at a university now, but a student gets hit by a car and his like half his face gets torn off and it's really yeah that was cool <laughs> that was really good like very well gore. done practical effects and you know he's a reoccurring character in the dreams and as a spirit throughout the movie he's really creepy and and just really well done it 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 really does kind of keep you on the edge of your seat the whole time and and I really enjoyed it yeah I think that was really cool how. He, you know, they're leaving Boston because he's working the graveyard shift. You know, he's seen all these gunshot wounds and crazy, you know, horrific accidents coming in. So they go out to the countryside, you know, deep into the woods of Maine to work at a university hospital. And the first case he has to deal with right. is a guy who's gored up the whole left side of his body. It just <laughs> dies on the table. Like, it's it's really good at just making a very bleak tone throughout the entire thing. And the whole side story with uh rachel his wife where when she was a little kid she was supposed to be taking care of her sister zelda and she's supposed to be bringing food up to her because she has spinal meningitis or whatever and 
she doesn't like bringing it up to her because Zelda hates her for being able to walk and stuff. So she's putting the food in this dumb waiter and she's not supposed to, but Zelda ends up like, you know, accidentally falling into the dumb waiter and it like crashes down. That was a really good scare moment. I like that a lot. Yeah, but not only that, but like the gimmick that continues to go with Rachel where she'll hear like she'll obviously their bedrooms on like the top floor of the house, but she'll hear like Zelda crawling around on the floor above her, even though that's doesn't exist. And then she'll hear like the Dunwaiter moving in the walls and stuff like just yeah. really creepy, like a really awesome gimmick that was like, you know, it's one of those moments that's like it's so tense. You're like, you just want to shut your eyes the entire time when you're hearing the Dunwaiter going like ve- very well done, in my opinion. And a big gimmick in this one is that uh, instead of Gage getting hit by a truck out in front of the house, they had Ellie be the kid who gets killed and then brought back to life. And I thought that was such a smart move because it works pretty well in the 80s movie, but it's just kind of like, oh, this cute kid came back and now he's evil. It's like, okay. But Ellie is able to comprehend what happened to her. She just does a great job acting, this this, uh, actress, Jatayla Rentz. Uh, yeah, no. I was not expecting a performance like that out of her. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she was, like, one of the stronger characters in the movie and just, like, really creepy. Um, like like you were saying, just having them develop her as, like, a f- more well-rounded character, you know, having full conversations with her, seeing her aspirations, seeing what her hobbies are, stuff like that. Uh, her relationship with uh, Judd John Lithgow's character where she'll go over to his house and hang out and, you know, she's just such a, like, a nice little girl and... You know, she has this party and she feels kind of like left out because they moved away from from their hometown and stuff. And, and it's just, it makes her coming back so much more impactful when you kind of know the full, she's fully realized as a character before she comes back. Yeah, and you know, that moment at the beginning when she's kind of asking about death and all that and talking to her dad. And he, uh, matter of factly, is like, yep, don't believe in heaven. You're dead, you're dead. And then you yeah. just go into the ground. He's like, yep, I know what I'm doing. And then uh, he, it's all just kind of, you know, put right back in his face after his daughter dies. And he folds so quickly. He's like, nah, I'm bringing her back. I don't give a fuck. I'm not accepting this. Yeah. And it's crazy how well they, they loop church into all this where, you know, the Wendigo controlling church is kind of the conduit for everything that happens in this movie. And you can kind of see the plan unfolding with every plot beat, which I right. really liked, you know, the cat knows when to look cute and it when knows when to be evil. Yeah. <laughs> which you had which a, I think is great. You had to run with an evil cat soon after watching this movie, didn't you? Dude, I walked out of my apartment to go to <laughs> Starbucks to just, you know, sit there and play video games or whatever. And I looked down and there's this, this stray cat who walks around by our apartment building that I did not realize how much it looks like church until I saw it then just staring up at me from the bottom of the stairs out of my apartment. <laughs> so if you want to see that, it's on my Twitter. But I, it was not, it did not make me very happy at, at all because I, I don't like cats to begin with. I'm really allergic to them. I was like, ah, get the fuck out of here. Like, uh, no, thank you. So that was creepy. But uh, not dead yet. So that's cool. Um, also, John Lithgow's character, Judd, was a total delight. Um, just every time he's on screen, he's just, he's both like a very charming, like older neighbor who's like kind of just like a gentleman, but you know, he has like a dark past to him. And uh, he, I, I just thought he was like really fun on screen, like good to be kind of the, the driving force of the narrative of explaining kind of what goes on in the city and being like the guy who's been there forever and knows all the ins and outs of the, I, I just thought he was played really well by John Lithgow and, and was a really fun character. 
he has a really creepy edge to him that I really wanted to be in this story. I thought it was a cool just way for the character to play out. Just, you know, that line when uh, Lewis realizes that church has come back to life and he walks across the lawn, uh, Judge just like, how's your cat, Lewis? Like, Fuck yeah. I love that. That was great. I thought that was awesome. And you know, the ending too, it end, it, it kind of wraps up a little bit quickly. That is one of my negatives. Uh, it wraps up pretty quickly, but basically what happens is Rachel gets killed by Ellie and then they together kill uh, Lewis and then they come back for Gage and that's how the movie ends. It kind of leaves it up to your imagination. I loved how mean-spirited it was. I yeah, thought that was great. Really dark ending. I mean, really just does not let up. <laughs> you would not expect it, you know, ending on basically a, a kid dying like that. But I mean, I guess it's like one of those things where, it, you know, they wanted it to really be different from the original and, and they went full as mean as possible with it at the end. So I think that was like yeah. a really uh, kind of an unexpected choice, but I, it works for the movie. I think that kind of makes it stick in your mind more, uh, helps you remember it for for longer, but very, very mean ending. But overall, I, I love the movie. I agree. I think it was the biggest problem I had was that the pivotal moment of the movie when they're going out to bury a body at the pet cemetery, it's all done on a soundstage with a ton of CGI work on the sky in front of them and everything. And it's like the rest of the movie is, uh, you know, on location in Quebec instead of Maine, but it looked good. And then with that, I was just like, why, why did you do this? There was no reason for that. And then there's a scene set on Halloween and all the leaves are green and it's Maine. (laughs) It's like, why, why even do that? Right. Why have a scene set in the fall if you cannot replicate fall in any way? <laughs> yeah, that, that was a little strange. And, and really, like like you were saying with the, the bearing at the pet cemetery scene, you could have just done that in the woods that they had there. I mean, they had a creepy woods, like, right there for the use. They yeah. could have just had a bunch of, like, dark trees in the background and put, like, a big windigo in the back somewhere and just like broke tree branches off the uh you know off screen to leave that sound effect of like him coming closer or walking around or something there was definitely a better way to do it that would have been cheaper that i think would have looked better and kind of fit the tone of the movie better they went through all this trouble to make this perfect burial ground and then they just kind of ignored it when they could have used it which right. i did not like <laughs> but Overall, I think I gave this movie a four out of five on um, Letterboxd right after I saw it. And I think I'm going to stick with that uh, almost two weeks later. Uh, I really liked it. I think it's definitely worth seeing. If you really like the Pet Cemetery story, it doesn't make any offensive changes, I don't think. It makes some good, well-justified changes, which is important. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I also gave it a four. I think if you're at all a fan of that or if you like Stephen King novels or Stephen King adaptations... You know, you're trying to scratch that it chapter two itch before that comes out. I think this is this will tide you over pretty well for that. I'm really excited for it chapter two. I really hope we get that trailer soon. I was hoping yeah. it would come last week. Yeah. It's, uh, what? It's out in September. Yeah, yeah. it uh, should be out soon with the trailer. So I don't know what's <laughs> going on there. Yeah, I don't, but... I don't know what they're waiting for, but I think we're all kind of chopping at the bit for that. Yeah. So. Uh, that's all I've got for this week, George. Do you have anything else to say other than where we can follow you on Twitter at George Frizzard, right? Yep, that's uh, that's my Twitter handle, and I believe it's the same at Letterbox. So 
I'd say follow me there, and Twitter is probably where I'm most active. Okay, cool. And then my Twitter is at Jimmy Champagne. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Let us know what you think of the new format over on the Discord server or on Twitter or anywhere else you can find us. Uh, if you want, again, your message read, make sure you send it to the email or review us on iTunes. Uh, bye. Bye.